first journey part four of narrative of the operations and recent discoveries in egypt and nubia by giovanni belzoni this LibriVox recording is in the public domain first journey part four next day in the morning according to my wish some arabs came to conduct me to the cave where the sarcophagus was which mr druetti had attempted to take out and had given to me as a present if i could get it i was conducted into one of those holes that are scattered about the mountains of gournou so celebrated for the quantities of mummies they contain the janizary remained without and i entered with two arabs and the interpreter previous to our entering the cave we took off the greater part of our clothes and each having a candle advanced through a cavity in the rock which extended a considerable length in the mountain sometimes pretty high sometimes very narrow and without any regularity in some passages we were obliged to creep on the ground like crocodiles i perceived that we were at a great distance from the entrance and the way was so intricate that i depended entirely on the two arabs to conduct us out again at length we arrived at a large space into which many other holes or cavities opened and after some consideration and examination by the two arabs we entered one of these which was very narrow and continued downward for a long way through a craggy passage till we came where two other apertures led to the interior in a horizontal direction one of the arabs then said this is the place i could not conceive how so large a sarcophagus as it had been described to me could have been taken through the aperture which the arab now pointed out i had no doubt but these recesses were burial places as we continually walked over skulls and other bones but the sarcophagus could never have entered this recess for it was so narrow that on my attempt to penetrate it i could not pass one of the arabs however succeeded as did my interpreter and it was agreed that i and the other arabs should wait till they returned they proceeded evidently to a great distance for the light disappeared and only a murmuring sound from their voices could be distinguished as they went on after a few moments i heard a loud noise and the interpreter distinctly crying oh mon dieu mon dieu je suis perdu after which a profound silence ensued i asked my arab whether he had ever been in that place he replied never i could not conceive what could have happened and thought the best plan was to return to procure help from the other arabs accordingly i told my man to show me the way out again but staring at me like an idiot he said he did not know the road i called repeatedly to the interpreter but received no answer i watched a long time but no one returned and my situation was no very pleasant one i naturally returned through the passages by which we had come and after some time i succeeded in reaching the place where as i mentioned were many other cavities it was a complete labyrinth as all these places bore a great resemblance to the one which we had first entered at last seeing one which appeared to be the right we proceeded through it a long way but by this time our candles had diminished considerably and i feared that if we did not get out soon we should have to remain in the dark meantime it would have been dangerous to put one out to save the other lest that which was left should by some accident be extinguished at this time we were considerably advanced towards the outside as we thought but to our sorrow we found the end of that cavity without any outlet 
convinced that we were mistaken in our conjecture we quickly returned towards the place of the various entries which we strove to regain but we were then as perplexed as ever and were both exhausted from the ascents and descents which we had been obliged to go over the arab seated himself but every moment of delay was dangerous the only expedient was to put a mark at the place out of which we had just come and then examine the cavities in succession by putting also a mark at their entrance so as to know where we had been unfortunately our candles would not last through the hole however we began our operations on the second attempt when passing before a small aperture i thought i heard the sound of something like the roaring of a sea at a distance in consequence i entered this cavity and as we advanced the noise increased till i could distinctly hear a number of voices all at one time at last thank god we walked out and to my no small surprise the first person i saw was my interpreter how he came to be there i could not conjecture he told me that in proceeding with the arab along the passage below they came to a pit which they did not see that the arab fell into it and in falling put out both candles it was then that he cried out mon dieu je suis perdu as he thought he also should have fallen into the pit but on raising his head he saw at a great distance a glimpse of daylight towards which he advanced and thus arrived at a small aperture he then scraped away some loose sand and stones to widen the place where he came out and went to give the alarm to the arabs who were at the other entrance being all concerned for the man who fell to the bottom of the pit it was their noise that i heard in the cave the place by which my interpreter got out was instantly widened and in the confusion the arabs did not regard letting me see that they were acquainted with that entrance and that it had lately been shut up i was not long in detecting their scheme the arabs had intended to show me the sarcophagus without letting me see the way by which it might be taken out and then to stipulate a price for the secret it was with this view they took me such a way round about i found that the sarcophagus was not in reality a hundred yards from the large entrance the man was soon taken out of the well but so much hurt in one of his hips that he went lame ever after finding that the cover of the sarcophagus could be taken out i set several men at work to clear the passage but on the third day on my return from the king's tombs i found that the cacheff had recommenced his old tricks he came to gournou from ermentz and seeing the arabs at work he took them all to the latter place bound like thieves and put them into prison i could not imagine the reason of all this after the promises i had made him and the protestations on his part which he had made to me but on inquiry i found that some agents of mr d had just arrived from alexandria and brought him presents i do not know what passed between them i only state the case as it appeared on my applying to him again he said that the sarcophagus was sold to the french consul and no one else should have it i feigned to be quite unconcerned about the matter as well as about the arabs he had put into prison for if i had appeared anxious he would have kept them longer as his motives were all mercenary i told him i should write to cairo about the sarcophagus in fact i had to write to mr salt to have a boat sent to convey the colossus down the nile as none could be had at that season in upper egypt for they were all engaged and mostly for the bashaw 
after having sent a courier to the consul about the boat i thought i could not employ my time better than in going up the nile as no extra expense would be incurred the boat which i had engaged might go where i pleased and by the time the answer from cairo arrived i should be back again i always had two guards kept at the colossal bust day and night but when i found that i could not get a boat to embark it without riding to cairo i formed an enclosure of earth all around it and on the eighteenth we set off for esne our number was diminished in this voyage as i had sent the irish lad to cairo and discharged the carpenter so that we remained only with the janissary and the interpreter the next day we reached esne and i landed just in time to see khalil bey on the same evening whom i knew some time before in subra he was appointed to the government of the upper provinces from esne to Azawan, and having married one of the bashaw's sisters he was quite independent of the orders of the defarder bey in suat it was nearly night when i went to him he was just returned from an excursion into the country i found him seated on a sofa made of earth covered with a fine carpet and satin cushions surrounded by a great number of his chiefs kachefs and santons they had just finished their dinner and i could not have arrived at a better time for conversation he was much pleased to see me and offered to give me letters to all the people under his command understanding that i might perhaps proceed as far as ibrim he caused a letter to be written to osayan kachef who was one of the three princes residing in nubia and as khalil bey received a yearly contribution from the nubians he had sent his soldiers thither so they were now on friendly terms the moment the troops of egypt enter nubia to receive the tribute the princes march higher up the nile and are never to be seen the usual conversation on horses and so forth was laid aside and as i was going to nubia the topics were the various personages i should meet with in that country and the risk i ran of being robbed by them and so forth after smoking a few pipes and drinking as many cups of coffee i left the bay and returned to the boat the next day i made a cursory inspection of the temple in that town it is much encumbered with rubbish and only the portico of it is now to be seen but the beautiful variety and fine-shaped capitals of the columns as well as the zodiacal figures on the ceiling announce that it was one of the principal temples of egypt the figures and hieroglyphics are somewhat larger than those of tentera and it is a great pity that such beautiful edifices should be inhabited by dirty arabs and their cattle on the twentieth we passed elethius with a strong wind and therefore did not stop till we arrived at edfu this temple may be compared with that of tentera in point of preservation and is superior in magnitude the propylon is the largest and most perfect of any in egypt it is covered on all sides with colossal figures of intaglio relevato and contains several apartments in the interior which receive light by square apertures in the side we have here one of those curious subjects of inquiry which in my opinion have never yet been explained these square holes or windows viewed from the inside of the chambers appear to have been made for the purpose of giving light to these apartments or to hold some particular ornaments or emblems placed in them occasionally on festival days consequently it might be concluded that they were made at the same time with the building 
yet on the outside these very windows come in contact with the colossal figures which are sculptured on the walls and part of these appear as if cut off where the windows have been made so that from the appearance on the outside it is to be inferred that these apertures were formed after the building was finished for my own part i think they were cut long after that period and made to give light to the apartments which were inhabited by people of a different religion from those who built the temple the pranoas is very wide and is the only one to be seen in egypt in such perfection though completely encumbered with arab huts the portico is also magnificent but unfortunately above three-fourths of it covered with rubbish through some holes in the upper part of the sekos i entered the inner apartments but they were so obstructed that i could not proceed far the fellahs have built part of their village on the top of it as well as stables for cattle and so forth the temple is surrounded by a high thick wall which extends from each side of the propylaeon so as to enclose the whole building not only the temple but every part of the wall is covered with hieroglyphics and figures on the side wall of the pronaus i observed the figure of harpocrates which is described by mr hamilton seated on a full-blown lotus with his finger on his lips as in the minor temple at tintura and on the west side of the wall is the figure of an unicorn this is one of the few figures of beasts i observed in egypt the elephant is to be seen only in the entrance to the temple of isis in the island of philo the horse as a hieroglyphic is on the northern exterior wall at medinet abu and the camelopard is on the wall of the sekos of the memnonium and on the back of the temple at ermans on looking at an edifice of such magnitude workmanship and antiquity inhabited by half-savage people whose huts are stuck against it not unlike wasps nests and to contrast their filthy clothes with these sacred images that once were so highly venerated makes one strongly feel the difference between the ancient and modern state of egypt the minor temple is but of small dimensions it had a portico in the front nothing of which is to be seen but fragments of columns buried in the rubbish some say this temple was dedicated to apollo but i do not know why there is not as much reason to suppose that it was dedicated to typhon as that the temple at tentera was dedicated to isis the square capitals on the columns at tentera are adorned with heads of isis and this is one of the principal circumstances that indicate the deity to whom the temple was dedicated in the temple at edfu the figure of typhon is placed on the capitals in a similar manner and though there are representations of the beneficent deeds of nature on the walls these may have been placed there by way of contrast to elucidate the destroying power of the cruel god farther on to the south is part of a building which no doubt was a second propylaeon as it faces the one now standing farther still is a small temple almost unnoticed by travellers which has an avenue of sphinxes leading in a right line towards the great temple the sphinxes several of which i cleared from the surrounding sand have a lion's body and female head as large as life there are vast heaps of ruins all around these temples and many relics of antiquity may be buried there on our passing by jebel selili we did not stop as we had a fair wind and i deferred visiting that place till our return on the twenty second we arrived at ombos 
the ruins that are now left give a clear idea of what it has been the columns of the portico form one of the richest groups of architecture i have seen the hieroglyphics are well executed and some still retain their colours on the water side are the remains of a smaller temple part of which is fallen into the nile the stones of this little temple are not so large as most of the rest which proves that the egyptians paid great attention to the proportion of masses as one of the principal points in the effect they were intended for the aspect of this little temple is somewhat graceful and some of the figures retain part of their colours though exposed to the open air in this temple the same state of decay was apparent as in various others the altar is fallen down and may be seen when the water is low it is a piece of grey marble without hieroglyphics close to the water-side are some landing-places with covered staircases leading up to the temple but these are quite filled in with sand we have reason to suppose this little temple to have been dedicated to isis as there are the heads of that goddess on the capitals of the two pillars like those on the columns at tinthera before our arrival at aswan we landed on the western bank of the nile here the country has a more pleasing aspect than any we had passed since the chained mountains there are palm-trees in great abundance on each side of the river and some cultivated spots of ground which extend from the nile to the mountains the distant view of aswan presents a very gratifying aspect perhaps increased by the barrenness of the preceding lands the old town of aswan stands on a hill which overhangs the nile on its left is a forest of palm-trees which hides the modern town and on its right a distant view of the granite mountain that forms the cataract the island of elephantine seems to interfere with the barrenness of the western bank and fills the ground with picturesque groups of various trees and the high rock on the left with the remains of a coptic convent nearly on the summit of it forms a view to which travellers in egypt are not accustomed and this may be the cause of their describing it with so much partiality we landed at the foot of the hill on the left of the nile and went to see the ruins of the convent where i observed many grottoes which had served as chapels for the christian worship the convent is formed of several small arched cells separate from each other and commands a very pleasing view of the cataract aswan and the lower part of the nile one of the arabian traditions relating to this place i think worth notice there is in this spot say the arabs great treasure left by an ancient king of the country previous to his departure for the upper part of the nile on a war against the ethiopians he was so avaricious that he did not leave his family anything to live on and he was in close friendship with a magician whom he appointed to guard his treasure till his return but no sooner was he gone than his relations attempted to take possession of the treasure the magician resisted was killed in the defence of his charge and changed to an enormous serpent which devoured all his assailants the king is not yet returned but the serpent still keeps watch over the treasure and once every night at a particular position of the stars he comes out of the caves with a powerful light on his head which blinds all that attempt to look at it he is of an enormous size descends to the nile where he drinks and then returns to his cave to watch the treasure till the king returns 
the twenty fourth on our arrival at aswan i made application to the aga for a boat to proceed to nubia but it being the last two days of ramadan none could be had for every body was feasting i went the same evening to the outer town of aswan and found it more extensive than it appeared from an external view it stands on a granite rock and its situation is extremely pleasant the higher part commands a view over the cataract the elephantine and the new town the granite quarries of the ancient egyptians are to be seen everywhere from this spot we have a full view of the cataract which when the water is high scarcely deserves the name for it consists merely of several rapids where the river is divided in its course by various granite islands scattered about and ascending gradually to the island of philo distant from aswan about three hours journey by water but two only by land when the nile is low the cataract has a different appearance as i shall have to describe in my subsequent excursions above the new town are the remains of a small egyptian temple so buried in the rubbish and stones that it has escaped the notice of many travellers on my return to the boat i found the aga and all his retinue seated on a mat under a cluster of palm-trees close to the water the sun was then setting and the shades of the western mountains had reached across the nile and covered the town it is at this time the people recreate themselves in various scattered groups drinking coffee smoking their pipes and talking of camels horses asses dura caravans or boats the aga came on board with as many of his followers as the boat could hold we treated them indiscriminately with coffee and a small portion of tobacco each as a present to the aga i sent to his house about a pound of tobacco some soap and raw coffee which he gladly accepted his manners were pretty free and from motives of self-interest he proposed to furnish us with a boat of his own this i preferred because i supposed we should be the more respected by the people of nubia whither we were going he promised that i should see the rice of the nubian boat the same evening but he did not appear showy as the appearance of the aga was the inside of his house was not in conformity with his dress which by no means corresponded with that of many persons in cairo employed by the turkish government who dare not make the least show of riches lest they should incur the suspicion of having defrauded their master this proves that the fear of the turks has in a great measure lost its influence here while remaining with our boat mrs belzoni took an opportunity to visit his harem or seraglio which consisted of two houses for the old aga had separated the old wives from the young though he still visited them next morning early i went to see the island of elephantine named by the arabs el shal as i could get no boat from the shore where we were we went to the old town and crossed in the ferry-boat which is made of branches of palm-trees fastened together with small cords and covered on the outside with a mat pitched all over there were nine of us in this boat its length was ten feet its breadth five and it might weigh about fifty pounds it cost when new twelve piastres or six shillings on my arrival at the island i went to see the temple supposed to be dedicated to the serpent knuphis and i may truly say the only antiquity in it worthy of mention it consisted of one chamber with two doors facing each other and a gallery of square pillars all around the walls are adorned with hieroglyphics and it has a staircase in the front 
i could not see the pedestal with greek inscriptions mentioned by mr norden there was a subterraneous staircase leading from the temple to the river and a little above it two lateral parts of a gateway made of square blocks of granite sculptured with hieroglyphics several large pieces of granite are lying about apparently as if there had been a building of some magnitude towards the centre of the island is a kind of gallery built of several square pillars of sandstone full of hieroglyphics the rocks of blue granite that project out of the earth serve as foundations not far from this temple i saw a statue of granite i believe of osiris about double the size of life it is sitting on a chair with some hieroglyphics on it and its arms crossed the breast but it was so mutilated that it did not appear worth taking away i crossed the island and on the west bank found it to contain many trees of cassia and sycamore the ground is well cultivated and altogether it is pleasant enough but it has not those beauties which have been ascribed to it by some travellers in crossing the river i saw the rocks of granite with the hieroglyphics and the nilometer cut on them i returned to our bark and prepared for our departure august twenty five in the morning i waited to see the rice whom the aga had promised to send to me the night before but no one came in the afternoon i went to the aga who repeated that i should see the rise in a few minutes i waited patiently some time at length the aga himself came on board after the usual ceremonies and protestations he gave me to understand that we must make an arrangement about the money to be paid for the boat i told him that i should be very glad to see the rice himself on the business he answered that if i agreed with him it was the same thing he added that the bark was ready but he demanded so exorbitant a sum that i told him i never would pay it and that i would contrive to provide myself with a rice who knew the cataract and would draw up our own bark he seemed very much dissatisfied with my answer and said that the rice of the shellal could agree with no sailors but their own i went with my janizary and the interpreter to the upper part of the cataract at marada which is two hours distant two soldiers of the aga offered to accompany us but i told them we were not afraid as we were well armed they almost insisted on going but i would not permit them for i was aware that they wanted only to see what we were doing and to interrupt my plans if possible when we arrived we found the boat not ready without a mast and the rice not there on inquiry we met with a man who undertook to pilot our boat up the first cataract and as far as the second and back again for twenty pataks which are equal to forty-five piastres or four dollars and a half as we were returning the rice of the first boat came and protested that his boat would be ready early next morning i asked him about the price but he said that this was left entirely to the aga i was now certain of the aga's tricks and felt pleased that i had a rise to pilot our own bark but i found myself much mistaken while i was absent on this expedition the aga had threatened our arab rice if he proceeded any farther with his bark and he was glad to obey for he thought i should leave him and his bark to wait at aswan till my return and pay him his monthly money during the whole time i had scarcely arrived on board when the aga came with great speed attended by his whole train of courtiers in their rags and finery they were all clad in their gala attire as this was their grand feast of the ramadan 
i cannot describe the motley confused manner in which this great divan was decorated one had a new tunic of their brown cloth and a ragged turban another had a fine turban and a ragged tunic a third without turban or tunic had a fine red woolen shawl round his body the aga himself was uncommonly dirty and showy being dressed in green and red and without a shirt on his back he came on board with all his suite i observed the rice whom i had brought from Arada, advanced to kiss the hand of the aga but he refused with an angry look saying to him do you dare to hinder me from letting a boat i then told the aga that if my taking a boat from any one but himself would cause a disturbance i would rather return back as i was not anxious to see a country where there was nothing to interest me and which would occasion me such enormous expense at this he became all at once very mild and still more so when i told him that i was determined to return and not go any farther as my patience was worn out with the number of obstacles thrown in my way the result was that he offered me his boat at the price a nubian would have paid and with the positive condition that it should be entirely at my disposal to stop where i pleased go where i pleased and take us to the second cataract and back again that it mattered not how long i should stay in a place even a fortnight if i liked it that the rice would be obliged to bring on board four other sailors besides himself supply them with provision and give us all the assistance and information in his power and for all this accommodation i was to pay the sum of two hundred piastres or twenty dollars which was less than i should have had to pay if i had kept the former boat from cairo as i incurred no extra expenses the first demand of the aga was fifty thousand paras equal to about a hundred and twenty dollars our luggage was to be sent on board the next morning on camels and we ourselves set off in the evening early in the morning the aga came again to our boat begging for a bottle of vinegar which i gave him accompanied with a trifling sum of money for his trouble to induce him to take care of the baggage we left behind till our return he was well satisfied and promised to do all in his power to expedite our departure the boat i had from cairo was to go back and i embraced the opportunity to write to the consul informing him of my scheme of ascending the nile to the second cataract during the interval required for the arrival of the boat from thebes which was to convey the colossal bust we arrived at Marada in the evening and accommodated ourselves in the boat as well as we could for the night in the morning of the twenty seventh long before the rising of the sun i stood at the stern waiting the light to unveil that goodly sight the beautiful island of philo my anxiety to see the ruins was as great as my expectations but when i beheld them they surpassed everything that imagination could anticipate we crossed the water and three hours elapsed which appeared to us as so many minutes but as i intended to inspect these ruins minutely on our return i only took a hasty view of the island i observed several blocks of stone with hieroglyphics on them in great perfection that might be taken away and an obelisk of granite about twenty-two feet in length and two in breadth i think this also might easily be removed as it lies in a good situation and not far from the waterside on our return to the boat we set sail and in about three hours arrived at Dibod. 
but i would not go to see the temple there as the wind was so favourable i did not like to lose the advantage of it this therefore i also deferred to my coming back we stopped near the shore above serdib al feras twenty eighth we passed several ruins this day on the western bank of the nile which i shall mention hereafter and about noon we stopped at a village on the eastern bank i believe to take in provision for the crew the rice the janizary and the sailors went on shore mrs belzoni the interpreter and myself remained on board some time after a few natives came to our boat and seemed anxious to see what we had in it but as it was covered with mats they could not look into it so well as they wished after one of them had approached and examined everything with attention they all retired but a few minutes had scarcely elapsed when we saw several of them returning armed with spears and shields of crocodile skins as they came straight towards us and were joined by some others their appearance was rather alarming and i thought it was time to be on our guard though we were well armed we were only three in the boat accordingly i took a pistol in each hand mrs belzoni seized one and the interpreter another they approached us in their boats as if with intention to come on board we asked them what they wanted but as they had no knowledge of the arabic language they did not understand us i made signs to them to keep off but they appeared indifferent to all we said or did i then stepped forward and with my right hand prevented the first of them from entering the boat while i held the pistols in my left he began to be rather rough in his manner but kept his eyes on the pistols while the others behind were urging him on at last i pointed a pistol at him making signs that if he did not retire i would shoot at him on this he drew back and remained with the rest for some time apparently in consultation the rice the crew and the janizary now came on board i told the rice what had happened to us and he talked to the men in their own language but at the same time untied the boat and we went from the shore into the middle of the nile on my expostulating with him upon the impropriety of leaving the boat without any one who could speak the language of the country he said that these people had a dispute with their neighbours which was the reason of their being armed and that they only wanted our boat to go to another island to fight with the inhabitants their adversaries whatever might have been their intention whether to attack us or to fight others neither would have been a pleasant adventure to us end of first journey part four